Once again, just want to say good morning to everybody. So glad to see you all here. I know that you're here for the message, not the food, right? Okay, that's just making sure we got that correct. Um, But I feel like we've done a good job because for the last five weeks, we've talked about a sermon series saying, come to the table, right? And we all know tables are meant for food. Um, But hopefully, if you haven't been able to join us for the last little bit, and let me tell you, Four weeks has flown by, right? Just four weeks ago, I introduced this series thinking Thanksgiving will be here sometime. Well, it's here, um, and Thursday we get to celebrate with our families. But hopefully this morning you'll stick around after service and you'll come and fellowship with us. But I'm going to take the next four minutes and try to cover four weeks, right? So buckle up, get ready, and then you'll be ready to know what we've been doing. So we kicked off our sermon series week number one with an invitation, Right? Every single person is invited to come to the Lord's table. He makes sure that every single person in the world knows you have an invitation to this. And what we learned on that week one is this is his table is a place to belong. When you come here, you're not going to be an outcast. You're going to be welcomed. You belong because you are part of his family. The second thing we looked at is for the broken. See that wheelchair down there? That's us. We are broken. We are messed up. We are sinners in need of a savior. And so every single one of us, we come to his table broken, he heals us. As we just sang about, he's the one who fills us up. And that third thing we talked about that week one is when we come to his table, guess what? We experience his blessing. And it's not just because we come to his table like, feed me, right? Like we do for mom and dad, young ladies and gentlemen. But we come to the table because the father is there. And we get to spend time with him. And hear me, he will feed you at his table. He will make sure that you grow if you are spending time seeking him. And I challenge each and every one of you, if you have to go to your kitchen table for your quiet time, to do that. So you understand that it's about seeking the heart of the Father. And so that's where we launched off. Um, Pastor Bob had week number two. And he looked in Luke chapter five, a story of a man named Levi. Right? He was a tax collector. And he started following Jesus And he did what was natural. He got all of his friends together. He invited Jesus over, and guess what they did? They reclined at the table to eat because that's what you do during life. You eat meals. The religious leaders did what? No, no, no. Right, Jesus, you can't do that. And he's like, yes, yes. Let me remind you, only the sick are in need of a physician. And we are all sinners. That's how we begin, until we accept Christ and become saints. So week number three, Roger took it, and the wheelchair is there for a reason. We looked at a story of a man in 2 Samuel chapter 9 named Mephibosheth, right? There was um, David's becoming king. The old line is getting ready to be taken away. Usually during that time, the kings would eliminate all threats. So in haste, this young boy was being carried. He fell to the ground. He was crippled. He's thinking, I'm going to be killed. But David says, you are welcomed at my table because of the covenant, because of the relationship with your father. And isn't that how we have a relationship with him? Through his covenant, through his faithfulness. And Roger talked all about his amazing grace and God's amazing mercy. When we come to his table, that's what we are to experience. And then last week we heard Blake's testimony of how God is using him, right? Broken. Life didn't go exactly the way that he thought it was going to go, but he's using it for God's glory. And so this table, I think, has a lot of truth to teach us. 
And we're not done. We've got one more this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. One more story of Jesus at the table um, as we wrap up our sermon series this morning. And as we're getting into Luke chapter 2, I want to make sure that I set the stage. Jesus is at the very end of his earthly ministry here on earth. This time at the table is the last time that we see him eating with his disciples. And we see that the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus is very, very close. But even during this moment, guess what he's doing? Taking the time to fellowship. Taking the time to teach those whom he loves. So I'm beginning in Luke chapter 22, verse 14. This is going to be my one verse that we read, and then I'm going to um, back up just a little bit. But look what it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came... He reclined at the table, and the apostles were there with him. Now, whenever we're reading scripture, sometimes there's things that are mentioned that we don't understand what they are. Sometimes we just need to ask ourselves, like, when the hour came, what hour? Well, the best thing to do is to let scripture interpret scripture. So if we back up to verse 7, we see the context. Here's what it says. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So this is the context for what we just read in verse 14, right? He's saying, hey, the hour has come. We're here to celebrate Passover. And most of us are going, what's Passover? What is this that Jesus and them are observing? So how many of you guys have a smart TV? All right? Those of you who don't, it's awesome. It's amazing, right? As you're watching, you can press pause on it. And you can walk away and you can go do whatever you want. And you can come back and press play later. Well, this morning, right, Luke chapter 22, Jesus is at the table with his disciples. And I'm pressing pause for a second. Okay? So here it is. It's frozen in time. We're going to jump into the Old Testament. Because I think we have to understand what's going on of the context to get what Jesus is about to say. So in Exodus chapter 11 and 12, that's where I'm going to be. But first I want us to think, right? God's chosen people were brought down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land. They were starving. Joseph brought them down. He provided food for them. It was a blessing for him to be reunited with his family. But what happens? Over time, the children of Israel, like God's hand is on them. And they are growing to where Pharaoh goes, they're going to overwhelm us. So he takes the people puts them in bondage, puts them in slavery. He has God's children working as slaves. And the people are sitting here going, this is not a good thing. So they cry out to the Lord. And as the Father always does, he hears the cries. He raises up a leader, a reluctant leader, by the way, named Moses, who marches into Pharaoh's house, which was the house that he grew up in, and says, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh's like, sure, yeah, no problems at all. No. Pharaoh's heart hardens. He says, I will not let the people go. 
And so what happens next? Because of Pharaoh's hard heart, because of the Egyptians worshiping false gods other than Christ, the Lord sends judgment. And it looks in many different ways, but we call this the nine plagues, right? The river turns to blood, there's gnats, there's frogs, there's hail, all of these different things, some minor inconveniences, but the longer the plagues go, the more intensity, right? It's dialed up. And still Pharaoh's heart is hard. He does not want to let them go because he will lose all of his workforce. Free labor is about to walk out the door. Thousands of them. And so what does Pharaoh do? He anchors in and says, I will not let them go. And so in Exodus chapter 11, verse 4 and 6, one final plague is threatened on Pharaoh. And you know what that plague was? The killing of the firstborn son throughout the entire land. And as I read that, there's still part of me that's like, wow, isn't that super harsh? That's judgment for sin. Sin always brings death. And here we see it, but catch this. God has a plan for his people. The plagues in the beginning affected everyone, but as they went on, you see God's hand of provision. They were in a separate land, and God started shielding his people from it. And the Lord also has a plan. For his people. And this is where we pick up in Exodus chapter 12. Luckily for you guys, we don't have time to read it all. But I encourage you this morning or this afternoon to go back and read it because it'll make everything come to life. So I wrote up a summary that I'm going to try to do my best to go over with you guys, right? Here's what Passover looked like. Because this is all about remembering and celebrating. When we think of Passover, like, oh, it's just the story, but this is something that they lived through. This was their experience. So they were commanded to take a lamb without blemish. Catch that. That's important for later. A perfect, spotless lamb, each household, and to kill the lamb at twilight. They were then commanded to take the blood from that lamb and put it on the doorpost of the houses. They would put the blood as a physical sign. After they put the blood on the doorposts, they were instructed to eat the lamb with unleavened bread, because the leaven represented sin, and with bitter herbs. I love this part. They were told to have their belts fastened, their sandals tied, and their staffs ready to go. Now you're saying, usually you sit down at a table, you relax, like there's no need to be ready to go, but the moment that the firstborn son was killed, Pharaoh's heart's about to change. It's going from hardened to completely broken. And he's wanting to get those people out of there as fast as possible. And the Lord is going to use that for the great exodus. So here they are. They're ready to go, staffs in hands. If the homes obeyed the instructions, they were spared. The Lord would see the blood and the death angel would pass over the home. That's why it's sometimes called Passover. And since that time, believers of his people have observed this feast as a memorial to the Lord. They call it the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, play on my story. That's why they're here. That's why they're gathered. That's why they're at the table. They're remembering what God did for them all the way back in Egypt. Now, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, right? As you read scriptures throughout the gospel accounts, you see different stories, right? Certain authors view things differently. Well, in Matthew 26, 26, it says, as they were eating. So, right, I'm sitting up here, 
Jesus is having this. They're talking about Passover. They're thinking about all the things God has done. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, this is my body. And light bulbs should be going off. Jesus is using an everyday thing as he always does and goes, now it's time to teach. Guys, pay attention. I have a truth for you. And he's about to institute, right? You guys seen it? Upper room, here's the Lord's Supper. And once you understand the context of that, the Lord's Supper has a whole new light to it. You see things differently because on Sunday mornings, many times, right, we pass these out. Um, we no longer have the individual open cups, right, and we pass out the bread. COVID killed that, right? But here we are. This is what we have now. And it's probably the safest and best solution. But let me tell you, I dream of a day when we can make a table so big that every single person at the church can sit at it. I dream of a day that we can pass around the bread and actually pass the cup. Because can you imagine what that was like the first time these disciples felt that? Everyday life. Jesus is just talking about things to come. And then boom, teaching moment. So look what it says in verse 15. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So even as he's sitting here at the table with his disciples, what does he know? I'm about to die. I'm about to suffer. I'm going to go through excruciating pain, but this moment right here is special. And I want you to see, guys, we're talking about the Passover lambs that were slain then. I am the Passover lamb. And Jesus is trying to get his followers, his disciples, to see this. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And they're like, kingdom of God, right? Can you imagine the disciples? They're always asking questions. I totally see one. I'm like, what? Like, huh? What are we talking about, Jesus? So he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What's he saying? Guys, my time is near. I'm about to be killed. And you're not going to... We're not going to do this again for some time. They just think this is another meal with the master. And yet the Lord's saying, you better treasure this one. Because I'm about to die. So as we see this unfolding, notice what Jesus does next. Verse 19. So he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this remembrance of me. And if you've ever been involved in a church service before, like those words are very familiar, right? We do this when we observe Lord's Supper. And next week, we're going to get the chance. And I think it's going to be one of those, I remember this sermon next week. But before he passes this, what did it say? When he had given thanks. Like Passover's all about looking back. But first he said, let's look up. And I love how Roger does this sometimes when we practice the Lord's Supper together. What does he say? Raise your hands, look to heaven, and say, thank you, Jesus. Because that's what this is about. It's about looking up to him and saying, God, you have provided for me. I want to be found thankful. So when we're heading to our homes 
and our family meals this Thursday, guess what I want to encourage you guys to do? Look up and give thanks. And let your family know all the things that's going on. But listen to this verse as it continues. So he took the bread when he given thanks. And I actually went out and got unleavened bread. It doesn't taste very good, right? But listen. He took the bread and he what? Did you hear that? I know our people listening online probably didn't hear that. But there's the crunch. And sometimes we go through this so quickly that we really miss what that's about. Because in moments later, guess what he says? This bread that we're about to eat, this crushing, this breaking, that's his body. He gave up his body for us. And there's this beautiful passage in Isaiah that predicted this. Right? There's all kinds of messianic prophecies throughout Scripture, but in Isaiah 53, I just want you guys to listen. I'm going to read about six to seven verses and, and see if you can make this come alive. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed See the breaking of the bread? For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Do you see the Passover that night? They had brought that animal in into their home. They had loved it, and then it was killed. Like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The whole time he was being beaten, wrongly accused, mocked, and scorned, our Savior was silent. His body crushed. Listen to what it says in verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering and shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Like, as excited as Jesus was to partake in this meal, he knew what he was really going to have to deal with, what he was going to have to talk. And here's the beautiful part of this. They looked back at the salvation of Egypt. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we look back at the cross for our salvation. Like this is the picture that he's trying to paint for his disciples. So look back at his work and what he gave for us. And I don't know if the disciples got everything in this moment. Maybe they did. I don't think so. But then he takes the cup, pours it, passes it around and I like here's our little cups and you can kind of see the reddish color right but imagine as they were looking into that and then he says this is my blood that will be shed for you because just as the story back in Exodus without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin and that's exactly what Jesus is trying to point out to his disciples here in this moment and so he takes of the cup they pass it. He once again gives thanks for it, as it says. 
And he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Right? He had a covenant in store for his people. He provided them a way of salvation, but they broke it. They transgressed. And so this new covenant had to be put in place. We are at fault for breaking the covenant too. Don't think this is just God's people breaking it. Any sin, any iniquity causes us to be separate from Christ. And here he is saying, I have a hope and a future for you. My blood is going to provide the way for you just as that lamb's bread. And so look what it says. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. So in this moment, he's teaching his disciples. He's sharing, I am the Passover land. And in that moment, as he's pouring out all that he has, Scripture says he realizes that the betrayer's there. He already knew this all along. But can you see this? How would the Lord allow a betrayer at his table? Because that's his desire for all to be saved. And even in this moment, he knows that Judas is in it for the money. Judas maybe had thought that he was going to be the, the king conquering, and he's realized that this is not the same Messiah that he thinks, and so he's out at this moment. But this is the real Messiah. This is the Christ who has come to save. And it says, and they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. We know. It's Judas. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we look up and we give thanks. We look back in remembrance of his work. But let me tell you, there's one more thing. We look ahead. And because it's one thing to be looking over your shoulder and be thinking back, but what is the Lord constantly always saying? Fix our eyes on him. We look ahead to the coming celebration. And as believers, like one day we get to be within heaven, and you guys are like, that's the finish line. Well, let me tell you, that's not just the finish line. We need to enjoy and celebrate here and now. He's given us his spirit. We've got a job to do. That's a whole other message on its own, but I want to slip it in there, right? We celebrate now, but we look ahead to this coming celebration. And what am I talking about? I alluded to it week number one, right? The king grave, gave this great banquet in honor of his son. Everyone was invited. They didn't have time. He sends out the invitation again. They still didn't make time. So they went to the highways and the hedges. People came in. They finally were there. The king is excited. My son's getting married. And he looks down and sees someone without the wedding garment. You remember the story? Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. It says, that person was bound hand and foot and cast out. Why? No wedding garment. No righteousness of Christ. Let me tie it all together for you. One last passage we look at, and it's found in Revelation. And some of you guys, when you hear that book, you're like, oh, that book scares me. I don't know what to do with that book, right? It, it's a little daunting at times. Some of you have dived all, dove all the way in, right? It's a lot. But let me tell you, this part right here, I know exactly what it's saying. This is as clear as it possibly gets because in um, Revelation chapter 19, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's what I believe that parable is alluding to. Because John, and it's crazy, right? The Lord just kind of takes him up, starts showing him things, and John is completely overwhelmed. He's like, write it down. I know you're not going to understand, but believers need to know what's going on. And so John is just doing his very best. 
Like, here's what I see. Here's what I hear. I don't know what it means, but the Lord said to do it. So here we have a sneak preview, right? Imagine you're in this moment, and look what John says. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. John's like, I hear a rumble. And it's just this multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, okay? The best thing I can do to describe this is some of you guys watch football on Sunday. When that stadium full of like 60 or 70,000 people, a touchdown is scored and they go, ah, right? That's only a small portion of what's really going to happen here in heaven. But that roar, that noise is this group of believers and notice, I'm about to get loud, okay, so get ready. If you're falling asleep, you're about to get woke up. Hallelujah! That's what they're proclaiming, right? We just talked through the personal names of God. Yahweh is his personal name. Hallelujah to praise Yah. Praise God is what they're saying. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And John's just watching it floored. Like, whoa, this is cool. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why is all this excitement happening? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. It's here. This marriage that we've been waiting for, it's come. His bride has made herself ready. Listen to that, guys. The bride, because that's us. Those who trust in him that are found faithful. It was granted her to clothe herself. And you're like, well, can she clothe herself? Catch this. With fine linen and bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. There's that wedding garment. Scripture interprets Scripture. We're the bride. I get to do a lot as an associate pastor with the emphasis of students, right? Lots of roller coasters, tons of ups, tons of downs. We play games, we go hard, we do lock-ins, all kinds of different stuff. Every now and then, I'll do a funeral or I'll do a wedding. And let me tell you, I enjoy lock-ins, but I think weddings are one of my favorites. I know that sounds crazy. There's a lot of time invested in it, but it's this beautiful thing of two people becoming one. And man, right, wedding ceremonies are special. And so... Can you see it? Right? You stand right here. You get the front row seat to it. You're right here in the midst of it. Tell everybody to stand. The bride, da, 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 right? There it is. And everybody turns their head and looks at the bride. That's this moment. The groom, as he stands up here in anticipation for his bride. And just as exciting as it is for me, like performing that ceremony, there's nothing that compares to the day that I got to stand up here. And I looked out and I saw my wife. Tears come to your eyes. Because that's the moment that you've waited for. You've anticipated. And that's what I believe is happening here. Except John sees this in a lens that we're kind of like, well, duh, but when it really hits you, you just fall down. John's like, I'm the bride. I'm included. He did all of this for me. And notice what it says here in 
verse 9. The angel, like, I, he just gets so stunned that he's just like jaw dropped, stops writing, forgets what he's doing. The angel said, write this down. Hey, buddy, wake back up. Come on. There's more. But he's just blown away at this moment in time. Blessed are those who invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like, this is something special. And if you're following with me this morning, you feel it in your heart. Because we are so unworthy. We know that we shouldn't be clothed in righteousness. Our rag, our best is this dirty rag, Scripture teaches us. But yet there we stand, dressed in fine white because of our Savior. Because of the Lamb that was slain. And we make this grand entrance, and the sun is there, because that's my bride. And we are joined together with him for all of eternity. That's this moment here. And so he says, write this down. These are the true words of God. Like, this is going to come to pass. When God speaks something, you better write it down. Don't forget it. It may take a little time. It may not happen on your timetable, but it will happen. Then I fell down, right? So his jaw had dropped. Now he drops. Because he's still, I'm trying to write it down, but I just, I'm overwhelmed. Down to his feet, and he started to worship him. Who's he worshiping at this moment? I call it the tour guide, the angel, right? The angel's like, hold up. Don't do that. John, you don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant. With you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus, worship God. Like, I know you're overwhelmed and you're not thinking clearly here. Jesus, he's the one. Turn your attention, fix your gaze on him. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Like, that's how we know these things will come to pass. So are you with me this morning? All people have been invited to his table to the marriage supper of the Lamb, but not all will accept his invitation. And let me tell you, when we gather together here on earth, this is just the small taste of what's to come. Like, why is it so important for us as believers to gather together as the church? Is to show the lost world what they're missing. When we come together in worship, when we sing praise to him, they from the outside go, what's that all about? And I know that sometimes... We get caught up in worshiping with people who think the way we do, talk the way we do, right? But let me encourage you and challenge you every now and then, just go to a church service that's not your own and just sit there and be a part of it. Maybe one that's even in a different language. And there's something cool that really happens. It's the Spirit of God connects you with those believers. You don't know what they're saying. You don't know what they're speaking. But when you praise God, you just let loose. I've, I've got to have this opportunity, and here in just a few moments, I'm going to show you guys a video. I apologize for those of you who are watching online. We can't stream it because um, it'll get taken down. Um, so you guys, if you want to look up Maverick City, um, getting ready. You can start loading it now. Okay, I'm talking to them for just a second. And play it with us because here in just a few moments, this is a group um, that gathers together and writes music, and they worship. And I'm giving you guys the freedom if you want to stand, if you want to raise your hand, if you just want to sit there. Maybe you know the song, maybe you don't. But these believers are worshiping. And if you pay close attention, basically the song is based off of Revelation chapter 19, verses 6, all the way down to verse 10. And they're going to worship. And they're going to issue a challenging question Are we ready?
because we're the bride. And we need to find ourselves ready for the return. And that's that look-ahead part. We're looking ahead to the celebration of this marriage supper of the Lamb, but the celebration of Him coming back. And He's not coming as a young baby in a manger anymore. This is the conquering king that Revelation says is on the white horse. Here he comes, eyes with fire. So I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let you guys hear this video this morning. And I want you guys to, if you will, just worship. There's no great place to cut that song off, but that was 18 minutes worth if we kept going. Because let me tell you, here's the beautiful part. When you're praising him, time just goes out the window. In that group right there, I want to know when they meet next, because I want in. I want to be in that group. But here's the beautiful part. This morning, we get the same opportunity to worship. We create that for him. Whoo! Powerful stuff. We shout till the whole world hears it. That's why we're still here. And I, it's really easy during the Thanksgiving time. Here's how great my God is. This is every day. Back to that, we fellowship with him every day. So it's fresh. So it's real. So it's alive inside of us. And we look back to the cross. And that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul was addressing some of the people at the church of Corinth. They weren't doing the Lord's Supper correct. Some of them were doing things they shouldn't have, and he had to set it straight. But his verse um, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. That's our mission. That's what we should be focused on this morning. Not just going down and fellowshipping. That's great. But our, our friends, our neighbors, are the people that we bump shoulders with, that we see in the grocery store, do they know that they're invited to this table? Are we pursuing them? Are we inviting them to come?